Welcome football fans. Buckle up for another hard-hitting episode of Let's Talk XFL, the only podcast solely focused on the XFL. From a sunny Southwest Florida studio, here's your host Michael Lathrop. Hello football fans, this is episode 2, The Journey Continues. It's another beautiful morning here in Southwest Florida. Hope everyone's having a wonderful day and you're ready to dive into today's show. We've got a good one. Today we will be covering some news. In addition, I will be discussing which 2.0 era coaches could return in 2023, as well as which former XFL players are blazing a path forward for future players into the NFL. We have some news to discuss, and as always, there is good news and there is bad news. First, the NFL's Washington football team, formerly known as the Redskins, are considering the nickname Defenders. To be fair, the nickname is among other finalists. The team is expected to make an official announcement before the 2022 NFL season. If indeed they elect to use the Defenders name, this could become an issue for the XFL. Although there is nothing finalized regarding the use of the Defenders' nickname by the NFL side, the XFL may need to proceed with caution. If indeed the Washington football team elects to move forward with the use of the name, a potential legal dispute could be on the horizon, and it could be concerning. A legal challenge will not only take valuable time, but more importantly, financial resources. So I must ask, is the juice worth the squeeze. I will provide my opinion, but first, it would be wise for everyone to look at the situation from several viewpoints and consider a few things. First, does the NFL own the rights to the Defender's nickname? This may or may not be a simple question to answer. Bankruptcy can cloud legal matters, such as various ownership details. This must be the foremost detail determined before moving forward with a legal challenge. Second, is the league determined and do they have plans to return to Washington, D.C. to resurrect the defenders? As in, are the details of training facilities and stadium use being negotiated or have contracts already been secured for 2023? Third, Does ownership have the financial resources it would take to successfully challenge it legally? And if so, what if XFL lose the legal rights to the defender's name? Are they prepared to fund new market research into branding a new nickname? Fourth, if the league's new business model is contingent on some form of an agreement with the NFL, is it worth considering this legal challenge? I am seriously torn. As a fan, I want to see all the 2.0 cities and team names return for 2023. I believe it is important to have a solid foundation as a relaunch point. Having each of the eight markets and team branding is vital to securing the 2020 fan base, and it provides an opportunity for a stronger 2023 kickoff. However, is one nickname worth risking significant financial resources? Absolutely not. The league cannot lose sight of what is important. 
this is likely the last opportunity for the XFL brand. After all, the old saying is, third time's the charm. So this is it. The XFL is either successful or it's finished. I know America loves underdog stories, but come on. Does anyone really believe the Goliath that is the National Football League and its multi-billion dollar industry, not to mention king of the American sports landscape, will lose such a legal battle? And if, in some way, the XFL did secure the legal right to the Defender's nickname, does any reasonable person believe the National Football League would consider working with an inferior league who have previously failed twice and likely cost them millions of dollars? over a nickname. The XFL must determine what it is that they want. If ownership desires a partnership of sorts with the National Football League, they must let the name go. The financial resources saved by not pursuing a legal challenge and the use of NFL practice squad players is significantly greater than the creation of a nickname. There's only one solution to avoid this entire situation. The Washington football team just needs to select a different name. And the second piece of new news, according to former D.C. Defenders offensive lineman Logan Tully Tillman's Twitter post on October 19th, bankruptcy checks are being finalized for the 2.0 era players. Logan's post says, and I quote, Former XFL guys, make sure you check your email and call to make sure they have the right info. They had my address from college on file, just as an FYI, end quote. A fan replied asking, quote, come back, end quote. Logan responded, end quote, LOL, no, I only coach now. But they are finalizing bankruptcy checks to the players, end quote. I see bankruptcy checks being finalized for the 2.0 era players as good news for a 2023 relaunch. These players abruptly lost their income in 2020 due to a pandemic halting the XFL season. It couldn't have happened at a worse time. XFL players and staff lost their jobs during a time when businesses across the nation were forcing staff to work from home at best. A good number of Americans were being laid off or just sitting at home waiting for their government to deem their job essential enough for their employer to be allowed to open its doors. These players had nowhere to go to provide for themselves and their families. Receiving these checks will help dig themselves out of a crappy situation. The checks help to correct a wrong done to them, and it could help reset their perception of the XFL. Hopefully, it helps them to view the league in a more positive manner, and if the opportunity presents itself again, they will be willing to return in 2023. The third piece of new news. Take-Two Interactive Software Incorporated, the parent company of Rockstar Games, are challenging the XFL over the Dallas Renegades secondary logo. The logo in question is a rendering of an R. Although the logo is different, there are some similarities. Depending on how the XFL handles the Take-Two Interactive Software's challenge regarding the Dallas Renegades secondary logo, it could be a bad thing. Although this is a potential legal matter, and the league could lose the right to further use of the Renegade's secondary logo, my reaction is, let it go. Straight up, do not fight it. The XFL should save its financial resources and time, and just focus on more important matters. 
The league still has the Dallas Renegades primary logo, which is the only logo fans recognize and truly care about. So in the big picture, it's not worth the effort. In the fourth piece of new news, on October 28th, XFL partners Danny Garcia and Jerry Cardinal of Redbird Capital participated in Sportico's Invest in Sports Summit. Their segment lasted 24 minutes and covered several topics regarding the business landscape of modern-day sports. Moderator Scott Shoshnick, the editor-in-chief of Sportico, presented some great questions to Danny and Jerry. Along the way, some interesting information emerged pertaining to the XFL. Shoshnick first inquired how the ownership group came about. Instead of me paraphrasing the conversation, here's the clip. How did the union come to be? Danny, walk me through how that happened on the XFL. How did this union come to be? Absolutely. It's a great union, too, because it did come to be um, never in person. You know, we were looking at the XFL property. Uh, Jerry and Redbird was, were also looking at the XFL property in bankruptcy. And we were both so excited about the prospects of what could be uh, the art of possible with this brand in particular. And as we were circling around, I was hearing so much about this incredible individual and really getting an opportunity to know the Jerry Cardinal story and the Redbird uh, Capital Partner story. Um, and we knew that to do what we needed to do with the XFL, we needed extremely strong and innovative partners, like hands down. You just needed strength across the board. And so as we were looking at it and we saw that Jerry also had an interest, it gave us an opportunity to meet and to talk about what do you see, what do we see. And we had viewpoints that just added to the bigger picture. And all of a sudden, you know, myself and Jerry, uh, DJ, were having these dynamic conversations. And we were so comfortable with the fact that we were so like-minded. We were very clear in our ability and our desire to win and very clear in our desire for what we wanted the XFL to be for the fandom and for the players. And then through that, we kept talking, we kept discussing, and then we made a move together. This is an interesting piece of information. It appears that only two potential groups were interested in purchasing the XFL. One being Danny Garcia and Dwayne The Rock Johnson and the other being Redbird Capital. Although the two sides did not meet in person, it was wise for the groups to come together and ultimately joined forces to purchase the league prior to bankruptcy auction. The move likely saved them millions of dollars. It also formulated a stronger ownership group, who now have an array of new ideas for the league. The question was followed by Solchnik asking how the ownership group viewed the XFL as an asset prior to purchasing it from Vince McMahon's Alpha Entertainment. Here's that segment. In the parlance of business, am I, am I right in saying you were looking at a distressed asset that was a nice compilation of content and intellectual property? Is, is that right? And then from that discussion, what do you say we can do together? Yeah, look, I mean, it, it, that's exactly right. And in, in fact, I, I, I don't think I would have done this without Danny and, and Dwayne, um, because, you know, they, they bring a very unique set of um, talents and skills and experiences. They are intellectual property in and of themselves, and particularly in the crossing of live event entertainment, real intellectual property and content. That's how you have to approach this. 
And what, you know, what their, their vision really was to create a live event entertainment company rooted in legitimate football. And that, that Venn diagram is really exciting because I think we can each bring a lot to that in from our various backgrounds. And so the synergy of that collaboration is exactly what you get, you're getting at in your question, Scott. And that's what's so exciting about this because that, if we can do that, that, that will have derivative implications for all, all sports and all leagues, uh, globally as well as in the United States. Cause, you know, these are all multinational entertainment properties now. And, you know, I think they, they're all, str- they're all grappling with the fact that they're real entertainment companies at this point, not just sort of hobbies or, or just sports teams or leagues. And yeah. every time I talk to an owner these days or a commissioner, I keep talking about scale. Yes, in arena is important, but it's a it's the finite number of seats on a finite number of nights. That to, you guys don't like finite; you like infinite. So, do you look at it in terms of technology and scale? How can I reach the entire world, and how do I grow beyond just the games that are being staged on the field? I think that Scott, that's absolutely right. The um, you know when you were talking about the earlier question about the wins and the losses on the field and Jerry was referencing all the wins of the business model and the scope, you know, our background in entertainment and in live properties and in film is about the universe winning, right? The complexity. So for myself, for DJ, for Jerry as well, it's not difficult to be thinking globally on every property. Whenever we put our heart and soul into or say yes to a property, we're immediately starting with a global framework. So we don't have that learning curve that many owners or many individuals in the sports industry has. We're automatically looking that way, and we begin building out in that manner. Jerry and Danny's response implied a vision of entertainment and sports leagues. Franchises are now entertainment companies and to be thinking global. Danny stated the group is looking at global framework. This vision is more than just lip service. If fans are not open to it, they need to be prepared to the potential of a merger with the Canadian Football League, or at least the Toronto Argonauts joining the league. For those of you who tuned in to the last episode, you will recall why this is possible. And if you did not, I recommend you to do so. What could this entertainment vision entail? Perhaps we could be looking at an enhanced digital presence come 2023. Seeing streaming platforms are all the rage these days. Ownership could be looking to revamp the XFL app or even creating its own streaming platform to supplement whatever broadcasting deal they may be able to secure. Such a platform would provide them the opportunity to create midweek content for the purpose to keep fans engaged while creating additional advertising revenue. There's plenty more that can be shared from Sportico Summit. The last portion I will share is encouraging for XFL fans. What is the discussion now? Jerry, what do you say to Danny? Danny, what do you say to Jerry? Where are we? Where are we going? Look, it's it, it's the same discussion that we had when we first decided to come together, which is, um, you know, how do we build a company that is that is both a, the convergence of live event entertainment and sport? Um, and, you know, again, it's the, what we talk about today uh, is exactly what we started out doing a year ago. And it's been a little over a year ago that we came together. And it's really the, the overlay of every if everything that they do in terms of a, a real entertainment company with an engagement with fans that is global in orientation, that is delivering must-carry content, 
And, you know, my, my input will be, how do we make this a company? How do we get this to pay for itself? Uh, and, and you put that together and that's where the magic happens. And we're in the middle of that right now. And you'll be hearing from us, as Danny will tell you, you'll be hearing from us, you know, with an increasing crescendo over the next many months, because we're ready, we're, we're getting ready to start to debut some of the things that we've been working on. And Noah's fans are hungry for information, and he was pretty vague. But Jerry's comment should be welcomed as something good. He straight up mentioned a multitude of news releases are on the horizon. We should continue to be patient. The fifth piece of news, on October 24th, former Houston Roughnecks general manager and head coach June Jones was on the Mad Dog Sports Radio. Here is his appearance on the show. I was trying to convince him that he needed to, to really think this through because I felt it was going to cost him basically his job, which it did. And then at the same time, I think it's uh, going to affect the future hiring, you know, of him being hired again. And a couple of the assistants also had played for me. And so I just felt that this was not the path to take, that it was time to put the team before me and that uh, this decision affected the lives of the families, the kids and the future of their careers. And I just didn't think it was a wise decision. But, you know, Rolo's his own man. He made the decision he made and now he has to live with it. How likely is it that this perhaps is the last time he will ever have an opportunity, you think, to be a head coach at the collegiate level? Um, I told him that I don't think he'll ever be a head coach at the collegiate level again unless it's five years down the road and somebody wants to hire him at a lower level. But I don't think a D1, I don't think a D1 school, because he's now suing the school and he opted to do what he, what he did, I, I don't think anybody will, will roll the dice with it. Well, and I don't think that's very surprising considering that's going to be some baggage that he's going to carry with him for at least the immediate future and probably for a very long time. But let me ask you this, and maybe this is taking it a little too deep from a psychological level, but we always question, Coach, when a player doesn't want to make a sacrifice, whether it be mental or physical, we question whether or not they truly love the game. How fair is it to say that? Coaching football is not the number one priority for him if he's putting his maybe personal beliefs ahead of that. Well, I mean, in his mind, he has to believe that this is the right decision for his family. However, that comes down. Obviously, I don't think the the coaching tree will feel that same way about it. I just think that this is not the right decision for him and his family, but he's the only one that can make that. And, you know. If I get a job in the new XFL again and he wants to coach, I, I love the guy enough. I would bring him on and try to rev, rev his career back up, but we'll see what happens. This clip has two interesting pieces. First one, how can we not be excited that June Jones wants to return for the XFL relaunch in 2023? Secondly, Jones would be open to bringing former Washington State head coach Nick Rolovich onto his coaching staff in the XFL. I'm not interested in dissecting his COVID vaccination status or his decision. In time, that can change. But I do find it interesting that he's available and a potential option for a June Jones staff. Rolovich has six years of head coaching experience with a 33-33 and overall record from his time at Hawaii and Washington State. He has plenty of prior coaching experience, previously holding offensive coordinator and quarterback coaching positions. 
I'm not sure why Jones would consider him over Chris Miller and Dan Morrison, who held those roles in 2020. Since Miller returned to coaching high school football, I would assume he would be available to return in 2023. Here we go, here we go, here we go. Solo right, slant check with me on two. Rod Smart in the backfield. The hand is smart. He's got a hole. Up ahead for a first down and more. As we all know, that phrase was, he hate me. Although it only existed for one season, the phrase became a household name. The XFL may have ceased to exist after the 2001 season, but its impact lived on via its players in the National Football League. There were several XFL 1.0 players who continue playing, which is worth noting and discussing. This proves a secondary league is needed for professional football player development. Leagues like the XFL serve more than just a purpose of spring football entertainment. The National Football League relies on the NCAA for this purpose. Yet year after year, veteran free agent players participate in NFL training camps and preseason games only to be cut and continue the process over again year after year. The XFL have been successful in developing these players and have provided a proven pathway to the return to the NFL. Proof of this is in the number of XFL players who have joined the active 53-player NFL rosters. Per my research, there were 21 players from the XFL 1.0 and there are 15 players from the XFL 2.0 who went on to ply their trade on active National Football League rosters. So let's look back at who these players are and where they made an impact. First, we'll do a team breakdown. The Chicago Enforcers had five players. The New York, New Jersey Hitmen had four players. Orlando Rage had four players. The Las Vegas Outlaws had three players. And the Los Angeles Extreme had five players. To me, this is impressive for a one-season league, especially if you recall at the time, the XFL was touted as, well, let's roll the clip. The XFL is accused of selling out the dark side of gratuitous violence, tawdry titillation, lousy football, and scripted low-life garbage. For a league that was framed as trash, it sure produced some decent players for the National Football League. Let's take a closer look at the most notable players and their statistics. First and foremost, you may recall, Los Angeles Extreme quarterback Tommy Maddox. He went on to play five seasons with the Pittsburgh Steelers. He logged 42 games. He had 1,036 attempts with 572 completions. Completion percentage of 55%. He had a total of 7,139 yards. Scored 42 touchdowns while giving away 40 interceptions. And how can any of us forget Mr. XFL himself, he hate me. A Las Vegas Outlaws running back, Rod Smart, went on to play five seasons, one with the Philadelphia Eagles and four with the Carolina Panthers. He played in 53 games. He had 29 attempts, logging 67 yards, but he had five touchdowns with zero fumbles. There was also Las Vegas Outlaws wide receiver, Mike Fury. He went on to play seven seasons with three NFL teams. He played in 94 games, had 221 receptions for a total of 2,298 yards and seven touchdowns. 
His most notable season was in 2006 with the Detroit Lions. He played in 16 games, had 98 receptions. He had 1,086 yards with six touchdowns. There was also Chicago Enforcers cornerback Corey Ivey, who went on to play nine seasons with three NFL teams. He had played in 113 games, logged 255 tackles, had three interceptions, had nine and a half sacks, forced five fumbles, and recovered one fumble. There was also Las Vegas Outlaws Kelly Herndon, who went on to play six seasons with three NFL teams. He played in 77 games, had 230 tackles, logged nine interceptions, one sack, and eight forced fumbles. Lastly, there was a Los Angeles extreme linebacker, Brendan Ian Bajo, who went on to play nine seasons with three NFL teams. He played in 142 games, logged 219 tackles, had four and a half sacks, two interceptions, and five forced fumbles. Now let's take a look at the XFL 2.0 players. I'm really impressed with the amount of players who made the transition to the National Football League. These players only had five games to showcase their abilities before the pandemic shut everything down. Here is a breakdown of the players by team. The Dallas Renegades had two players. The Houston Roughnecks had one. The Los Angeles Wildcats had two players. St. Louis Battlehawks had two players. Tampa Bay Vipers had four players. The Seattle Dragons had two players. D.C. Defenders had a player. And the New York Guardians also had one player. For a total of 15 players. Seeing there has only been a season and a half since the leagues shut down, I will focus on three notable players. These players are contributing significant production for their respective teams. And I'll have to start with the most surprising player. Former St. Louis Battlehawks quarterback, Tyler Heineke is now with the Washington football team. He's played in nine games, attempted 293 passes, completing 187, has 2,065 yards while scoring 12 touchdowns and only giving away nine interceptions and one fumble. There's also Dallas Renegades tight end Donald Parham, who is now with the Los Angeles Chargers. He's played in 20 games, logged 17 receptions for 234 yards while scoring five touchdowns. And lastly, Los Angeles Wildcats offensive lineman Storm Norton, who is now with the Los Angeles Chargers. He's played in 14 games while starting 10. This just proves the National Football League needs another legitimate professional football league to develop players. The XFL has been a prime example of a league that has provided a pathway for players to the NFL. Let's take a stroll down memory lane for a moment. I would like to take a look at 2.0 head coaches and dig into a few things. Starting with the Eastern Division, let's begin with the D.C. Defenders' Pep Hamilton. He is currently 47 years young. Pep will be 48 years old when the XFL kicks off in 2023. His XFL record was three wins, two losses which was first in the division. His team scored 82 points while allowing 92 points. He scored nine touchdowns, 
while they allowed 12 touchdowns. His team had second worst offensive production and the third best defensive production. My take, I'm surprised Pep's team underperformed offensively, but I am impressed the defenders are a top three defense. Everyone knows Pep is an offensive genius. Given his age and his upside, it is a no-brainer for me, and the league should make retaining him a priority. The New York Guardians head coach Kevin Gilbride is currently 70 years young. Gilbride will be 71 years old when the XFL kicks off in 2023, and his record was three wins, two losses, which was third in the division. His team scored 79 points and allowed 85. They scored eight touchdowns while allowing nine touchdowns. His team had the worst offensive production in the league while having the second best defensive production. My take, Guardians had a bit of a quarterback situation. If you recall the McGloin Mountain in D.C., there was clearly a rift between their star player and the coaching staff. It's one thing for it to exist. It's another to have it played out in the media. Seeing Gilbride will be 71 come kickoff, I believe it'd be best for the league to seek alternative options for 2023. The St. Louis Battlehawks' Jonathan Hayes. He is currently 50 years young, and Hayes will be 60 years old when the XFL kicks off in 2023. His league record was three wins, two losses, second in his division. His team scored 100 points while allowing 77. The team scored 11 touchdowns and allowed eight. His team had the third best offensive production and the best defensive production. My take, I knew little of Hayes prior to the 2020 relaunch, so I had no expectations of him as a coach. Solely looking at the Battlehawks' production, he was a successful coach. Now factor in him being only 60 come 2023's kickoff and the fact that St. Louis is a proud fan base. The league must retain him. Hayes is a diamond in the rough, and the league would be foolish not to have him back. The Tampa Bay Vipers head coach Mark Tressman is currently 65 years young. Tressman will be 67 years old when the XFL kicks off in 2023. His XFL record was one win, four losses, fourth in his own division. His team scored 98 points while allowing 115. His team scored 11 touchdowns while allowing 15 touchdowns. They had the fourth best offensive production and the third worst defensive production. My take, despite the offensive and defensive production, Tressman's team was tied for the league's worst record. I believe this is largely due to the instability at quarterback. For me, failure to get the most position sorted out is too great to overlook. Unfortunately, I think it would be wise for the league to seek a replacement. And then there is the Dallas Renegades' Bob Stoops. He is currently 61 years young, and Stoops will be 63 years old when the XFL kicks off in 2023. His XFL record was two wins, three losses, second in his division. His team scored 90 points while allowing 102. His team scored nine touchdowns while allowing 12 touchdowns. He had the fourth best offensive production and the fourth best defensive production. My take, 
Statistically, the Renegades were a middle-of-the-road team. Factoring in Stoops' age and pedigree, there is no reason why Bob Stoops shouldn't be welcomed back to the XFL. Hopefully, he's willing to return. Looking at Houston Roughnecks, June Jones he is currently 68 years young. Jones will be 70 years old when the XFL kicks off in 2023. His XFL record was five wins, zero losses. First in the division and the best record overall. His team scored 158 points while allowing 111. He scored 21 touchdowns while allowing 14 touchdowns. They were the best offensive production, and his team was fourth worst for defensive production. My take, the Roughnecks had the league's best offense and record. Can't forget the offense was exciting to watch. Just from a production standpoint, they were a success. We should also look at how Coach Jones continued to be an XFL ambassador and has been vocal that he is interested in returning for the 2023 relaunch. Ownership needs to get a deal secured with Jones. No excuses. Then there's LA Wildcats' Winston Moss. He is currently 55 years young, and Moss will be 57 years old when the XFL kicks off in 2023. His XFL record was two wins and three losses, third in his division. Team scored 129 points while allowing 122 points. Team scored 18 touchdowns and allowed 14. His team had the second best offensive production and the worst defensive production. By take, I know Moss is a defensive guy and the defense rated as the league's worst. But if you recall, he straight up fired his defensive coordinator and the move sparked a culture boost for the Wildcats. The team became competitive and fun to watch. Let's not forget he was a first-time head coach. Moss is young and he took his lumps early. I feel like it would be smart if the league would bring him back. Then there's Seattle Dragons' Jim Zorn. He is currently 68 years young, and Zorn will be 69 years old when the XFL kicks off in 2023. His XFL record is one win and four losses, which was fourth in the division. His team scored 87 points while allowing 119. The team scored 12 touchdowns, and they allowed 15. His team had the fourth worst offensive production while having the second worst defensive production. My take, aside from Zorn being on the right side of 70, I just don't see why the league would want to bring him back. The Dragons were tied for the worst record and rated towards the bottom of the league offensively and defensively. I'm just not excited about him to return as a coach. Lastly, there is Team 9's head coach, Bart Andras who coached the unassigned players in a formal setting to assure the active eight XFL teams had in-form free agents available in the event of player injuries. Andres is currently 63 years young, and he will be 64 years old when the XFL returns in 2023. My take? The league should reinstate Team 9, and there is no reason why the league should not retain Andres to coach it. He is fairly young and has some experience coaching, but nothing significant. He is currently coaching at a university in Ottawa. If a merger does happen with the Canadian Football League, this could continue to be a really good fit. Now, I doubt the XFL ownership is listening to the show or even care what I think. But if so, 
I'm recommending the league retain six of the nine head coaches. We've reached the end of the road, and we've finished today's topics. I'm interested in receiving your feedback, so don't be a stranger. Let me know what your thoughts are. Do not hesitate to hit me up on social media or via email. Hey, you never know if and when your comments may make the show. I'll catch you all on the next episode. Thank you for tuning in to today's show. Don't forget to subscribe and rate Let's Talk XFL on your platform of choice. Follow Let's Talk XFL on Facebook and Twitter at Let's Talk XFL. Do you have a question or topic you would like to have addressed on the show? Message the show via social media or send an email to letstalkxfl at gmail.com.